when Allstate recruited me, I answered the call and was really pleased to be able to work at a company where, you know, I'm making experiences that help people get protected during some terrible times in their lives where they're turning and using our apps. Welcome to the What is UX podcast, the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them. I'm your host, Peck Pompat. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Peck Pompat, on the What is UX podcast. And on today's episode, we have Katie Swindler, innovation design strategist and senior manager at Allstate and author of the book, Life and Death Design, What Life-Saving Technology Can Teach Everyday UX Designers. Welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks so much for having me, Peck. Really a pleasure to be here. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's an honor to have you. One of the most favorite. Well, could you tell us a bit about your role at Allstate? That sounds like a really awesome title, but what, what does that even mean? Yeah. Innovation design strategist. It was, it, it definitely caught my eye on the uh, job board. It's actually my second role at Allstate. I was formerly a UX strategist uh, within the UX team at Allstate. The innovation team, as many corporations do, they separate out the innovation team to give us some room to run. We're often working outside of normal processes and procedures, trying to break the rules so that we can remake the rules, uh, which is a little bit of cowboys. Exactly. You know, entrepreneurs, I think is like what the 15 year old term now. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's a really fun place to, to play. I got to tell you, I'm honored to be able to play in that space at a company like Allstate that even though they are, you know, often thought of as kind of a conservative company, I have been pleasantly surprised in my work within innovation about how far out there they are trying to be, push the envelope, do things not just about making money, but about making societal change. One of the projects that I'm dedicated to is around uh, giving people more control of their data and more options for pushing back on companies and how their data is used, you know, and being more transparent about it. And as part of that work, we're looking at how Allstate can be more transparent, give people more choice, but also doing things like, how do we lead the way on this? Even thinking about like, you know, are we advocating in Congress for new laws to be made to, to give more privacy back to consumers, things like that. So it's, it's really fun to be in such a mission-driven organization that is really starting to push the boundaries way outside of insurance or what you would normally think of as insurance, though we certainly are consistently innovating within the insurance space as well, looking at new types of products. We recently added pet insurance, you know, things like that. Some of the more obvious things to, you know, how do we use things like all the new video data that is available from cars and infrastructure to smooth out the claims process for people? How, you know, how can we use AI to make it even faster so you don't have human processing and slowing that down so people can get their money and get back on their feet as fast as they can? Yeah. Thank you. All, all of that sounds very interesting. One question I had was, So some of these, I see the immediate kind of business model, business benefit to Allstate, some of this, like, you know, consumers owning their own data and data protection, like what, you know, is there, you know, a direct business case to this? Do you have to, like, when exploring these ideas, do you also have to 
think about kind of like the, the business aspects of this and come up with a business case and defend that? Or how, do, how does that work? Yeah, sometimes we do. In this case, data privacy is a huge passion topic for our CEO, Tom Wilson. So he's actually the one saying, hey, we need to pay attention to this. You know, uh, this is the right thing to do, you know, and, and he's not reckless, of course, but we do need to find a way that it is sustainable from a business standpoint. But I think it is, he understands that being a brand that consumers trust is one of our key value propositions. And so being able to live into that and to behave in that way across the board, not just in, you know, that we're going to be the good hands, right? We're good hands at all state, right? Not just that we're going to be the good hands after some sort of disaster, but that we are consistently looking out for consumers and building that and earning that reputation in, in multiple arenas. And, you know, that will translate to more trust for our brand and, and more customers long-term. Yeah. Wow, that's wonderful. And it's good to hear that that's coming right from the top. Yeah. And the, the second favorite question people always <laughs> ask is like, how, how, does, how did you get into design? What was your history? And I know looking back at your history, you, you were in theater as well. You're a director of the theater production company. Like that's left field to what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I always say the creative process is the creative process. And, you know, I use the things that I learned, you know, on stage for Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you know, I put some of those lessons to use in my daily work as a design strategist all the time. Uh, theater is a lot about bringing a ragtag group of people with various passions and talents, bringing them all together to make something bigger than ourselves. That was the thing I always loved about theater growing up. I was in over 40 musicals before I graduated high school. So I did a lot of theater growing up, majored in originally a musical theater, switched to directing during college, went to Millican, Millican University, go big blue. And, you know, that through, through that process and learning how to bring those different people together, I, the, it, the process of creating digital products scratches a lot of the very same itches. You know, you, you get a big group of people together. It's, you know, I'm working with people that with skills that I do not have and I, you know, nor will I ever be able to develop to the depth that they have within the rest of my career and working together to make something that's bigger than all of us that none of us could have done alone and doing it for people. Right. I really learned a lot about designing things for an audience, for creating experiences, for bringing together concepts into a physical space for theater a lot of that translates exceptionally well for creating digital experiences, uh, especially bringing brands to life through digital experiences. Uh, it, I think about that work in the very same ways that I would used to think about, you know, bringing a play to life and creating augmented reality on stage, right? It, it, a lot of that comes through and you have to really understand your audience. You have to know who you're talking to and how they're going to respond. Think about their perspective, what they've seen before, what they're going to see next, building, you know, narratives and arcs and a lot of that stuff. I, I use it all the time when I'm creating experiences and bringing brands to life through those digital experiences. Yeah, they, I, I think it's a good analogy. What, what, well, the, even the discipline of user experience has the word experience in it, and we're mm -hmm. trying to craft an, an experience. So, obviously, anything, whether it's you know storytelling, like like Pixar or theater, that translates really well to to this career. 
Yeah. You know, and if you look back at some of the theater that I was doing in my early twenties, before I really stumbled onto the path of user experience back then, I didn't even know user experience was a profession that you could do. Right. And I was creating more and more interactive work. You know, I, I did one of the last shows I did is the craziest shows I did was called live from the Milky way game show. And that's what it was called show game live from the Milky way is the name of the show. And it was a live game show that was set on an quote unquote alien spaceship. And I had improv actors that were playing sort of funny versions of themselves, but they were getting live questions, like pop culture questions each night. They didn't know what it was. You know, we had, you know, games of chance and they had a, a big sort of double dare style obstacle course that, that the final two had to go through at the end. So that was, that, that was just a blast. And I was, you know, always making more and more interactive <laughs> performances because that was just like what the sort of art that I was drawn to and then here you know uh, now, now I'm making things that are purely interactive experiences so I think it was probably a pretty natural progression overall oh amazing and tell, tell us uh, double click into the transition from theater to to the career design that you have now yeah so it was kind of a slow fall <laughs> into the field I started out you know, I moved to Chicago to do theater here as soon as I could. I didn't even attend my graduation in college. <laughs> I just wanted to be up here doing theater. And I was doing a lot of storefront theater, which means you don't get paid. And I was directing shows in the evening. And then to pay my bills, I was working hours here and there, at many different theater companies, and ended up doing a lot of theater marketing. From there, I got a job at a PR and marketing firm that specialized in the arts. And I started working on a site called cchicagodance.com, which was taking, I don't know if you know this, but in Chicago at any given time, at least pre-pandemic, there's probably 200 dance performances like happening around the city at, at any given time. And people just didn't know about it. There was no central place to go to get information about it. And so they created this website and I was part of the team on the client side to create that. My boss had gotten a grant. And so I was part of, you know, her assistant team to kind of help get that up. So I had the experience of creating a big website and like helping to populate it. You know, I was, I, I had the title of a webmaster, right? Like back when that was still a job title and I was, you know, creating community and, and pulling people in, which was really fun and got to meet lots of cool people. And then I was trying to go for this job at a theater company, being their marketing manager. And I was one of the last two and I didn't get it. And I was so upset but sometimes the universe pushes you in the right direction because I was <laughs> crying on the my boyfriend's couch and he was roommates with his brother at the time. And he saw me crying and like, you know, heard my sob story. And a week later, he offered me a job at his firm as tech. I was this first employee. I worked there for seven years. I was a, I was COO of his company at 24. We built that company into, I think we had about 12 or 14 people by the time I left seven years later. Through, so through that time, I got to wear lots of hats. It was an interactive web marketing company. We had our own CMS and we also did a lot of WordPress builds. And, you know, I helped I help build the company. I helped lead development team, hire and manage the development team, manage, you know, I did a lot of client relationships, managed designers and 
you know, from there, I really found that UX was the part of my job that I liked the most. So I went and I got some more education. I got a, I got a boot camp certificate. I'm one of those boot camp kids. And from there went into a advertising agency, FCB, got to work on some really fun stuff. It was nice to be able to do UX full-time, you know, take off some of those many hats that you do when you're in a startup and uh, focus. And I, and my craft jumped hugely in that first year when I was around other people, because before I was the only one, right. UX team of one and my skills just, you know, just exploded in that first year at FCB. And I got to meet so many cool people and work on so many cool projects and get a lot of mentoring and got to work on things like jackdaniels.com, got to work for like Toyota, Meow Mix. I made this weird cat gif maker <laughs> thing, right? So it was a really fun, I uh, got to work on all these huge consumer brands, but you know, I really wanted to do more work closer to the business and closer to users, you know, helping people do more than just make cat gifts. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, you know, I wanted to to do more meaningful work. And so when Allstate recruited me, I answered the call and was really pleased to be able to work at a company where, you know, I'm making experiences that help people get protected during some terrible times in their lives where they're turning and using our apps you know, after their house is on fire, sometimes while their house is still on fire, they're like getting, trying to get online and get help. Right. And, and, you know, I'm getting to help create the experiences that help people in those moments. So that was really important to me to be able to do more meaningful work. And, and I've been really pleased to, you know, spend five years at Allstate now and, you know, get to, get to help people in those moments. Yeah. Speaking of your uh, storytelling and theater experience, you segued Mm -hmm impeccably to your book, uh, Life and Death Design. Tell us a little bit about that book and, you know, maybe some of the experiences at Allstate kind of shape that if if I'm reading between the lines. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can see the trajectory of my career, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to always be thinking about creating experiences that help people in their times of need. And, 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 you know, if I want to direct my career, you know, if I were hiring me, I would put me more in marketing spots, right? And I want to be moving more towards making products, right? And, that, and working on stuff that really matters. So I was thinking to myself, you know, well, how am I going to convince people to hire me for roles like that when when I've got cat gifts in my past? <laughs> like, like, how do I how do I do that? So I was like, well, I I gotta I gotta be qualified. And so I started researching, and you know, so many people have. Uh, asked me since I released the book, you know, like, how did you know you were ready to write a book? And I was like, you know, how did you know that your expertise was enough that you were qualified to write a book? I was like, well, I gained my, my qualifications by writing the book, right? It's like writing a thesis, essentially, you know, I did the research, I did the interviews, I consolidated it, I worked through it with my editor. And, and through that process of, of learning and processing, like that is where the, that's where it came out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, obviously I was applying design strategy that I had learned through the course of my career. You know, I definitely couldn't have written this book 15 years ago before I had started doing uh, the design work I've done. But, you know, if anybody's thinking about writing a book, don't wait till you feel like you're qualified. Cause honestly, like 
you, you don't make a ton of money writing books. Like what comes out of it is opportunities and, you know, being able to work on cool stuff. And like, if you wait till all you're at the end of your career, then like, who cares anyway? Like, you don't, you don't have any career left for it to like boost. Right. So, <laughs> so just do it, just jump in. You'll learn so much through the process of it. You'll meet cool people. Don't make the book about you, make it about learning. And it's such an amazing experience. I highly recommend it, especially if you work with an amazing publisher like Rosenfeld Media, like I, I got the chance to. So uh, yeah, that was that was a really fun process. So, so yeah. What, what, what are some yeah. key insights? Uh, and... <laughs> yeah. So life and death design. Uh, one of the things that I, I, when I started researching designs that matter, one thing that I noticed they all had in common is the human stress response. And so I sort of chose that as my topic of study. And as I started to explore it, I realized that there, there's a few different parts of the, of the human stress response. You've got everything from like the startle response, right? That sort of involuntary jerk when something loud happens, right? There's, you, you've get the startle response. You have the moment right after where you're sort of intuitively assessing the situation and deciding whether or not something is dangerous and, and acting really intuitively. And so, you know, as UX design designers, we're always thinking about how do we make things more intuitive? And so there's a lot of opportunity within the stress response to also study intuition because it drives a lot of our behavior when we're under stress. And so that was really fascinating. Then you got the whole fight, fight or freeze, right? And then you've got, how do I help people think rationally when their, their instincts are screaming at them to do something irrational. So thinking about the reasoned response. And then at the end of it, you know, how do we calm people down? So often people pick up their phones after something bad has happened. You know, you think about a car crash. The first thing you go for is your phone. Cause you're going to call for help. You're going to get a tow truck. You're going to get an Uber. You're going to text your boss. You're going to be late for work, you know? And that's on a, that's on a fender bender, <laughs> you know? So like how, how are we creating technology to help in the aftermath to calm people down? And so those sort of five areas of, of study really laid out nicely as a, as a book, right? So those are the startle reflex, intuitive assessment, fight, flight, or freeze, reasoned re- response, and calming. Those are the, those are the five main chapters of the book. And there's so, there's so much juiciness there for for designers to understand if you can understand the different parts of the stress response, that there's different needs in those different moments, there's different behaviors that people exhibit, and there's different techniques for drawing out the behavior you want to see in that moment. That's going to keep the person most safe. It's going to help them make good decisions and going to drive them down the path of least resistance and, and, and safety and, and goodness. Yeah. Can you illustrate anything like as an example that maybe is in the Allstate app that is potentially calming that, that you do purposefully? Yeah. So, it, you know, lots of times um, folks need a little bit of extra help processing things in the aftermath of a crash. And so, or in any sort of stressful situation, one very stressful situation is if you've been in a crash or you go out to your car and it won't start. And so we have a roadside app and I wasn't part of the team that developed it. This was a a little bit before my time um, researching for the book, but it was, it was great to have, to be able to feature in the book, they developed this system called Omni Assist. So that when somebody calls the when somebody calls for a tow truck through our roadside service, that's most people's instinct is to call after a a crash, but there are so many benefits to actually using a digital interface 
in that moment because you can do things like look at a map and see where the nearest service centers are or look at a map and see like how close your tow truck driver is like you would on Uber. But people, when you're stressed, your instinct is to human to human communication. That's how we're wired. And so most people will pick up the phone and call. And so the Omni Assist thing was really cool, you know, picked up those calls and gave people an option to have the system text them a link, and then they would be instructed to put their phone on speaker and it would continue to talk to them, but they could find, they could click the link and have all the additional visual stimulation, you know, stimuli and information so that they could, like I said, you know, use maps, use, use, use all of these different tools. And, but it was still speaking to them. It wasn't like hang up and go to Uh the app. Right, right. right. It, it was like helping them out and in the system in the background, like synced it all up. So the system knew which page you were looking at. It could say, look at the top of the screen. Like it could really walk you through the visual experience with the extra support of the, of the verbal. Commands. Yeah. And you can do so much more like take pictures while being on the yes. phone or yeah, yeah, like you said, just seeing where the truck is, is just knowing that it's coming, it's moving and it's there or that I'm only okay, a few. See a picture yeah. of the, of the tow truck driver. So, you know, it was like yeah. the right person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing. That, yeah. That, that's, that's, that's a really great example. <laughs> <laughs> There's several my, my, my editor, cause they, they do great work. My editor's like, okay, no more all state examples. I, okay. Marta, I'll, 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 I'll cap it. I think there's like maybe four sprinkled throughout the book, <laughs> but the team does really great work. I mean, I've learned a lot while I've been working there and I've gotten to, you know, help on a, on a couple of others. So it's a great team at all state. Yeah. And what about another topic that sounded interesting to me is like your, the people's fight, flight or fight response. And mm-hmm. how are you maybe influencing design to affect it or try to influence a certain behavior? Yeah. The, you know, fight, flight or freeze is interesting because. Right. Yeah. The freeze is a, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, people don't talk about it, that one. The third yeah. one. Because, you know, colloquially, and even in the book, because I tried to keep the language as simple as possible, I just call it the fight or flight response, because that's how most people speak about it. Also, I knew I would have to eventually read the book out loud for an audio book. And I didn't think I could say fight, flight, or freeze <laughs> 17 times <laughs> without stumbling. So, so the fight or flight response is interesting because it really the same, it's a very simple mechanic and it, and it happens on a, on a scale. So when somebody is stressed, those sorts of behaviors start to come out. So if you're just going to a website and it doesn't look trustworthy, the flight response kicks in and you just X out, right? It's not like you're running away from your computer, but you know, the, that, that same instinct is still there and it's still driving behavior fight at at sort of a minimal level might look like going to post a nasty review on Yelp, right? Freeze is, you know, sometimes we call it what choice overload or yeah, yeah. Where somebody has too many choices. And so they make no choice. Right. That's the, that's the, alternative choice. <laughs> exactly. And and so, but in especially when you're in a stressful situation or an emergency situation or somebody is just logged into your app and found out they've been hacked or that their bank account is empty and it shouldn't be. You know, those moments are when people can really panic and freeze up and one of the best things that a designer can do for them is to just give them a start here. 
<laughs> button, right? Like, hey, th- this is your first step. I was in a CPR training once and they said that if you ever have somebody fall to the ground, you shouldn't just yell out, somebody call 911 because it's very likely that no one will call 911. What you want to do is you want to point to somebody specific and say, you call 911. And then you're going to have that immediate thing, right? That re- immediate- That accountability. That's right. And so people, when they get stressed and overwhelmed, they need that really specific singular direction. Don't give them a bunch of choices. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't say, don't soften the language to say, start here, right? right. Do Being very stuff. direct and, yeah. and focused. Yeah. And, and I think that corresponds to humans, flight or right? Like people become more zoned in and, and focused right. and, and that's what they need. You yeah. can't overwhelm them with too much. Yeah. The cortisol is the neurochemical that comes out. You know, it's, it's kind of the sister chemical to adrenaline. Adrenaline affects our body, increases our heart rate, et cetera. But the cortisol is really driving the changes in behavior and one, and it's a driving chemical. It literally is the chemical that increases in our bloodstream every morning that makes us wake up without cortisol. We would never get out of bed. It, it drives most of, of what we do. And in a, in a stressful situation, it gets dumped into our bloodstreams, which is why it's hard to sit still when you're stressed out. And it, we also tend to make really fast decisions. We have really black and white thinking. It also makes it hard to learn new things and be open to suggestions. It can also really increase aggressive behavior. So that that cortisol really drives decision-making. And if there's no obvious choice, it's hard for us to stop and think things through because cortisol is just saying, no, go, 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 go. And if there's not an obvious path to go down, that that's when we end up with that, that freeze response because- we can't, we just, we can't respond in the way that our body is demanding that we do. Right. Yeah. I think that reminds me of a story of a, there was like a fire in Chicago, right? At a, at a club yes. where there was two exits, but everybody was just so focused on the one exit when there's the other, you know, and that to me is that, that example of flight or fight response where you're so singularly focused on that one exit that you're not even thinking of other possibilities. Literally, this is the literal. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Gary Klein is somebody I read for background on this book. He's got this great book called sources of power, where he does quite a bit of research on the expert decision-making in crisis And he talks about naturalistic decision-making where instead of a pro-con list, when you're asked to make a decision in an emergency situation, your brain just uses, you know, basically matching categorization, matching and intuition essentially to say, Hey, will this work? And it like pops to mind the thing it thinks it's going to work most that matches the situation most recently. And you, instead of thinking like, okay, what are three options and which one is the best option? You think, Hey, will this option work? And you imagine, Oh, well, yeah, I could go in the, you know, I, I could go in the, if I'm coming to a burning building, Oh, yeah, there's probably 17 different ways to get into this building, but my brain just says, oh, would going in the front door work? And I do a quick imagination of like, oh, if I go in the front door, I don't see any smoke that's blocking it. I don't see any flames, you know, this and that all check out. Yes. I think the front door will go. Your brain won't offer up any additional suggestions. You just 
go. And, and you just do that thing. People will say, I didn't make a choice. I just did it. Well, you did make a choice because there were 17 other ways to get into that building, but it's done completely subconsciously. And as long as you don't run into something in your quick mental simulation of, no, I think that's going to be a blocker or no, I can see smoke coming out of the front room. So what's my second option, right? What's my second best option brain? <laughs> can you give me my, my second choice? So, you know, if, if you go with the first one, then it feels like you didn't make a choice. And the more expert you are and the more experience you have, the better your brain gets at making that, that connection. And so the first choice is more and more often the right choice um, and the choice that you go to. And that's why experts will tell you, I don't make decisions in the field. I just, you know, that was the only thing that I could have done in that moment because they're, they're not considering multiple things. It's, it's, it's not a pro cons choice. It's just, and like you said, in that, in that situation, it was like, what is the door that I came in to get to this club? Right. And so like, where's, where's the, where's the exit. Right. And so then you go to it. Some people may have had the presence of mind when they see you know, a bunch of people going that direction, but honestly, herd mentality is just going to reinforce that choice that you've made. Right, there. Everybody's going that way. So I should go that way. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, you don't even consider that there should be another option that, that, that you should be thinking about. Yeah. Wow. I did not expect this conversation <laughs> to go this way at all. Talking about cortisol and flight or flight or freeze. Uh, so this is... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I lean a lot on neuroscience in the book. I try to make it as accessible as possible. Lots of stories about, you know, firefighters and I got some cool stories about astronauts in there. And, you know, I, I try to keep it interesting, but, and accessible, but yeah, a, a lot of how humans behave is just driven by two very simple chemicals, adrenaline and cortisol. And if you understand what they do, you can predict a lot of human behavior, at least a range of human behavior that then you can design for. Yeah. And I, I can see anybody who's working in like insure tech and, you know, fintech potentially, or can benefit from this book. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, you know, the, the subtitle is, you know, what life-saving technology can teach everyday UX designers, because who isn't designing for stressed out people? Everybody is stressed, right? And uh, whether they are using your product because, you know, they are, I don't know, like a day trader or something and they have a stressful job or whether it's, you know, insure tech and fintech, whether it's a product that is just a momentary moment of stress, like, you know, after a car crash or something like, or like an Uber after a bad date, you know, or whether like, it's just candy crush, but you've got a mom with a, a crying baby in her arm, trying to like find her moment of bliss in the midst of chaos. You know, like there's, there's, you know, there is, there's pretty much any product that you're working on is probably going to be used by stressed human beings at some point and understanding what, what that does to the human brain and human behavior, I think is valuable for any designer, or at least that's yeah. why I wrote the book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've given me an idea to maybe track down kind of these candy crush game designers <laughs> to see like the, the, the opposite, the, the de-stress, what, what are some of the things you do to, yeah. I think it's an escape for some. <laughs> it is, you know, it's interesting you say that because uh, after I published the book, I, I was still on some email lists for like, 
academia.com or something where I get notices about new studies that go up. And one of them was around like the benefits of positive emotions during stress. And then a lot of stuff I've been seeing around resiliency. And it's been making me think a lot about the flip side of this topic, right? It's like designing for stress, but it's like, oh, well, how do you actually design for happiness and not like the dopamine hit momentary happiness, but how can, you know, we create products and services that are helping people build resilience and emotional strength and, and lasting, uh, a lasting ability to be happy with themselves and balance their lives, which I think is a really interesting flip side to the research that I've been, I've been kind of eyeballing. Is this uh, hinting at a next book? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Not for years to come, but maybe a talk. <laughs> yeah, start with a talk and see if there's, yeah, okay. like, the MVP. <laughs> I know. I was, when I was finishing the book, I was like, never again, never again. I told my husband, if I ever say it, just tell me now. He was like, uh-huh. And yeah, yeah. And then a month later, I'm like, ooh. Not, not, not yet. These yeah. really oh. interesting studies. <laughs> oh, well, baby steps, right? That like you yeah. kind of get a little validation here and you build on it. Um, <laughs> Chronic curiosity. Yeah. Well, Katie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing this. Was, uh, I learned a lot and it was great to learn how we could apply some of this. And again, not just for insure tech or you know, like there's there's even you, you've kind of broadened my mind on how to, to apply this because you're right. Lots of software can be stressful. Like, you know, when you don't know how to use it, you don't know how to find something. Error states can be super stressful or yeah. like, you know, when, when things are down, I know like, the SaaS products that are, are are down can be very stressful or not working. So it all applies. Uh, I can see it being a lot more uh, broader application. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for uh, bringing me on. It was such a lovely chat we got to have today. So thank you. Yeah, likewise. So uh, in the show notes, I'll, I'll link uh, to the book for everyone. And Katie, what, how do people get in touch with you? Oh yeah. I'm pretty easy to get in touch with on Twitter. I tweet at Katie Swindler UX also uh, imminently findable on LinkedIn under Katie Swindler. If you do Katie Swindler Allstate, I'm almost surely pop up and uh, also katieswindler.com or lifeanddeathdesign.com. I've got both of those. Uh, up awesome. Oh. Great. And we'll link all that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Katie. Appreciate it. Great talking to you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of What is UX? If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guests and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.